first video which we'll be doing here in service and then we're going to be continuing on with the other videos throughout our small groups our real life connection small groups which are starting tonight and throughout the rest of the week so we pretty much have a group every night of the week yeah so alpha actually has 12 or 13 sessions and uh, we've combined them into our sunday morning service as well as our midweek so if you want to get it all in you gotta, you gotta sign up for a group um, and, and come to Sundays. And so that, that's how you get the whole picture, right? Yes. But you can miss one or two if you have to. Yes, yeah. of course. So if you. We're not legalists here. No. 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 <laughs> if you wanna get the whole experience, of course, sign up for a small group. It's not too late. Today is the final day that we're gonna be taking signups. Your connection cards that you would have gotten um, as you came in today will have all the groups. Um, myself and Liz will be out in the foyer to take those connection cards from you. So it's not too late, even if you want to join a group that starts this evening. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be hosting a group, or I'm going to be facilitating a group that is going to be hosted by Kay and Wes um, in Finley Creek area, and it starts tonight, and you're welcome to join our group or any of the other groups, and all you have to do is take that connection card, right, it's pretty simple, find the group you want to be part of, and uh, check that off, and, um, and then... Uh, Put your name on it and your contact information, and you can hand it to uh, Liz or Carol at the desk, or you can drop it in one of the boxes on your way out. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, of course, um, if you are inviting anyone to come along with you to a small group, um, and if they are feeling a little bit too uncomfortable to show up here on a Sunday, that's okay. We just want to make everybody aware that these small group experiences are a safe, non-threatening environment, which we want to really just build on relationships with people in our community, friends, family, anybody that you think might benefit from this. And some people like, might be thinking, well, isn't Alpha just for beginners? Um, and uh, because it is kind of an introduction course. But I think one of the best things for those of us who have been you know, with, uh, with Christ for a long time is that a lot of times we're um, dealing with people in the, in the public, you know, people we work with or whatever, that might be asking us questions that Alpha addresses, and it helps us to come up with answers uh, yeah. for them. Yeah, and I think it kind of brings us back to the basics, and I think we take that for granted sometimes when we're a little bit seasoned in our Christian faith and our walk. So it's good to kind of pull it back, right back to basics, and just learn um, all over again, because what you're going to get out of this is there's going to be some aha moments, I guarantee it. Yeah, great. So uh, everybody clear? You can sign up for Alpha today uh, for a small group, and uh, you can uh, just sit back and enjoy the rest of the service. Great. great. Yeah, good. I want to say thank you as well to all of you who uh, participated in our Thanksgiving offering last week. That was tremendous. We really appreciate it, and we know others are still continuing on, and uh, I just feel encouraged by the foundation of support that we have uh, ongoing for our vision and for what God is going to do for us as a church and through us as a church as we reach our community. You know, we're, we're, we continue to talk about what our focus is and we really want to reach out. And we know that our heart is, uh, is kind of very specific for the children, for families, for, uh, for uh, young people. And we're going, to make, we're going to continue to make that our focus. And we have some great things in store. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why we also have a real-life connection group that is uh, designed for families. So if you're here and you're a parent... And you say, you know, I, I can't be part of a group because, you know, kids don't really fit into a group. We have a group just for you. So make sure you check that one out and uh, because that's what we're all about. We're all about the next generation and just appreciate everybody who is, uh, is on board with that vision and supporting us as we continue to, to build together um, our part of the kingdom of God through uh, connecting with one another, with, um, with, 
as we connect with God, with each other, and with our world, with our community, through real life connections. So it's great. Well, the primary question that, uh, that Alpha tries to um, address, and I think is probably one of the questions that many people are asking today, uh, is Christianity relevant to me? After all, how can something that is thousands of years old, uh, that happened way over in the Middle East, uh, how can that have any impact on our lives in North America in 2017? And since I'm a pastor of a church, I'm the lead pastor here at Parkway. My name's Michael, by the way, if you're visiting with us. Um, and, and you, you know, you're going to expect me to tell you that, uh, of course, Christianity is relevant to you and to every other person in the world today. That's, you know, that's my job, you're probably saying. So I, I don't want to make this just about, about what I, I, uh, my profession. I want to make this personal and tell you a little bit about my story and why I believe for myself that Christianity is so relevant. Yes, I was raised in the church environment. My parents started going to church when I was just an infant, and they started taking me to church. We went to church uh, uh, two times on Sunday, which included Sunday school and a morning service and an evening service. Every Sunday evening, my parents took me to church, and I often fell asleep on the pew uh, when I was a child because the services went on for a long time. They were long services back then. And, uh, and then again, we would go in the middle of the week, we would go to church. So, you know, my family were kind of fanatics about Christianity and about church. And uh, I was kind of raised in that environment. And so, you know, you would expect that I would follow in my life, I would follow Christianity. And I, I you know, for the first part of my life, I just did it because that's what we did. That was our family. Christianity was about who we were and our life in church and what we believed and the Bible all just kind of fit in. But just like everyone else, even though I was raised in that environment, I had to come face to face with some questions about the reality and the relevance of the faith that I was raised in. You know, I, uh, when I was young, in my teen years, when you start making those life decisions, and there, I, the church had a lot of scandals. Not my church, not my local church, but, you know, the church worldwide in the 80s, 90s, all the celebrity pastors that were, were caught in immoral situations and their kingdoms were crumbling and all kinds of hypocrisy and scandal was exposed in the media. And these were people that, when I was growing up, I thought, wow, that's, you know, they're superheroes. But those people came tumbling down. I grew up in an environment where there was a lot of misuse of doctrine. I came to realize that, uh, you know, that, that some of the, the things that I was taught or the way I was taught, there was always a lot of, there was always a lot of um, aggressive preaching and um, a lot of, a lot of, Shame and guilt put upon people like myself as a young person. I felt a lot of guilt because there was a lot of talk about hell and about Jesus coming again and would I be ready. And, and as a young person, I just felt like I could not measure up. And it, it often made me feel guilty and ashamed. There were some kooky fanatics in the, in, the, in the group that I was part of as well. I remember one lady, she, uh, she'd get the Holy Ghost in the middle of the service and she'd start shaking and trembling like this and then her heels would start clicking on the floor and it's like, you know, when you're a young person, you're watching this, this, this older lady do this every week, you, you kind of roll your eyes and say, she's crazy. You can say what you want, but she's crazy. <laughs> Then, you know, I, 
I remember, I remember one time being very disappointed and confused when, uh, when uh, a relative of mine, a younger relative, I was in my late teens by this time, um, probably about 17 or 18 years old, and one of my younger relatives, um, he, was, he was sexually abused by a man in our church. And he had been, been put in the care of a family in our church and, uh, and for, for a weekend, and he was sexually abused. So I didn't know what to do about this. I didn't know how to deal with this. So I took, um, he was my nephew, I took him to my pastor. And, uh, and my pastor, you know, he just, he just said, well, that's, that, that, that's, that's too bad, but we're not going to do anything about it. We're just going to pretend it didn't happen. And I remember thinking, I guess he's right to cover up something like this, not deal with it. Um, I, too, had been sexually abused, not in the church, but I had been sexually abused. It created a lot of confusion for me. And it was a few, it was just a couple years after that where I was put in a situation where, where um, I was um, accountable, being mentored by a pastor. And that pastor, who I respected, thought he was really great, and that kind of thing, um, uh, made sexual advances towards me. There were a lot of confusing things about that. People that I respected, people that... That, that really, um, you know, um, I thought were talked about holiness and righteousness, and they didn't necessarily practice all that they preached. So why did I hang on? Why did, was it relevant to me? Well, yes, it goes right back to the very beginning when my parents took me to church. My father had been an alcoholic, and he was searching for answers to his alcoholism. He went to, he went to AA. And uh, at AA, they told him he needed a higher power, so my dad went searching uh, through multiple churches and cults and all kinds of things, and he ended up in the church that I was raised in. He gave his life to Jesus Christ there. My father's life was radically transformed. So I knew, even though there was a lot of hypocrisy, there was a lot of scandal, there was a lot of things that I I questioned about, um, I knew that this was real, and relevant because my family had been transformed by the power of God and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what makes Christianity relevant to me today. We have another video for you. The actor Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they've ever dreamed of so they would know that's not the answer. Some people dream of having their name in lights, of fame and fortune. Some people dream of finding happiness through relationships, careers, money, whatever it may be. But do you ever get that niggly feeling that as good as those things are, there must be more to life? Yeah, all too often life just doesn't turn out the way we think it should. And even when it does and we achieve our wildest dreams, it's somehow never quite enough. It just doesn't satisfy. It's like there's something missing. The comedian and actor Russell Brand said, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In other words, I'm the one who fulfills the longing that's deep inside every human heart. Jesus claimed to be the one person who can satisfy that spiritual hunger. 
Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the rock group Queen, had amassed a huge fortune and attracted millions of fans. But he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. He said this, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man, and that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ultimately, there's only one relationship that is totally loving and goes on forever, and that's a relationship with God. And Jesus said, I am the way to that relationship. Maybe money. What makes me happy? Music. Music, ice cream, and cheese. Sleep makes me happy. I was going to the gym, seeing my friends, going to the pub, playing football. Dogs. Alcohol. Uh, women. Pretty much. The idea of life in general makes me happy. Clothes. Uh, women. What's the last in this? That's a really good question. I don't know, I can't tell you. I think we're supposed to learn a couple of things. There's nothing more. I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. Uh, no. It's live in the moment. Absolutely. I strongly believe that there's more to life than this. No idea. Sorry. <laughs> when I was about 17, I was sitting having a burger with two friends. And we were looking out the window and commenting on a few of the stores across the street. And I suddenly realized that I couldn't read any of the signs, even if I squinted. So I asked if I could borrow one of my friend's pair of glasses. And as soon as I put them on, I realized I could see everything, like colors, shapes, words. I was amazed at how everything was so clear. And I could see before, but now I could really see. And to me, that's the best way to describe the difference that Jesus makes. Jesus is the lens through which we see God. And he's also the lens by which we see the world in a totally different way. So Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm our truth. He didn't say, I'm our way. He claims a position of absolute reality and truth. Now, many people are happy with Jesus, uh, thinking of Jesus as a great historical figure, a good moral teacher. They like his teaching. They like his stories. They like what he stands for. But Jesus is much more than that kind of historical figure. Jesus' claims are much greater than that. You know, there is a requirement as we that we need to take the whole package of what Jesus claims to be. You can't go halfway on Jesus. You can't just pick and choose the parts about Jesus that you like. Jesus, Because Jesus' claims are so wild and so dramatic, you have to, you have to deal with the, with the questions in front of you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, um, the, the great author... Um, probably best known for his, uh, his books, the Narnia series, um, C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. You see, Jesus claimed that he died, that he was resurrected, and that he lives now forever. And so if you, if you look at Jesus and you look at his claims, you realize you have to make a decision. This kind of claim cannot be moderately true. 
It can't be half true. It must be completely true. If not, if Jesus isn't telling the whole truth, if the Bible is not, the claims cannot be proven, then you would have to say that Jesus is either a liar or he's crazy. Because this is the kind of person and the kind of claims that he has made. So over the course of history, some of the greatest minds of humanity have lined up to claim their belief in Jesus Christ and who he says he is. Uh, It has been said by some that there is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is evidence that Julius Caesar ever existed. Even scientists today will claim that Jesus, there is proof that Jesus is who he is. All through time, scientists have stood up and have confessed their belief in Jesus Christ in his resurrection. Even today, we have an example, Francis Collins, who leads one of today's most advanced scientific projects. He has this to say about how he came to believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. One former professor of history at Oxford University described the resurrection as the best attested fact in history. I hadn't realized how many of the pioneers of modern science were believers. Descartes, Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Locke, Copernicus, Faraday, Kelvin, Pastor. Francis Collins, one of the greatest scientists of our time, was director of the Human Genome Project, mapping the three billion letters in the human DNA considered by many to be the most significant scientific undertaking of our time. He describes how he encountered Jesus and came to believe in the truth of Christianity. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, My father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, When I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, She had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it and at the end of that explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me and I had been silent and she looked at me quizzically and she said, What do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. 
I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity. Because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that, in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning and its fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the Creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history, and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings, and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me. A journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to. A journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. There's a difference between knowing facts about someone and really knowing them personally. Now, I've known my husband, Phil, for three years now, but suppose if, before we met, I found him on a website called The Amazing Man. Now, there's no doubt I would have looked at him and thought, okay, I'm intrigued. But what if each page was dedicated to his amazing abilities, his sparkling personality, his tender heart, his extraordinary intelligence, and his cooking abilities? Well, I would think, wow, he does sound like an amazing person. But that's head knowledge. But I also have the privilege of being married to him, and I know that he's an amazing person, which is knowledge that comes from experience of relationship, and that's heart knowledge. When Jesus said, I am the truth, he was talking about more than just a kind of intellectual truth. The Hebrew understanding of truth was truth as experienced. And there's a big difference between a kind of intellectual knowledge and a personal knowledge, between your head and your heart. So when someone says, I know Jesus is the truth, they're not just talking about being convinced of the evidence. They're also talking about experiencing a relationship with the risen Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And lastly, he said, I am the life. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to deal with the things in our lives that stop us from enjoying life to the full, the things that spoil our lives. So each one of us have to take a journey to find out who Jesus is and what he means to us and is he relevant to us in our lives. It's not something just for our head, but it's also something for our heart. You know, I was raised in the church. I learned about Jesus. I learned about the Bible. I, I, I knew it from cover to cover. Um, very early in my life, I knew a lot about Jesus and about the Bible. But for many years, I followed Jesus out of a sense of fear. Because of this environment that I was raised in, where there was a lot of, a lot of what I felt was angry kind of words, um, the way I internalized it was it made me feel guilty, it made me feel ashamed, it made me feel afraid for the future. 
I believed in my head that I had an assurance of salvation, of something, an eternal life, but at the same time, I never felt confident in the love of God in my life because, basically, pr- primarily because of my own personality. I was kind of a very, very insecure and had a shame-based personality. So when people spoke um, uh, to bring guilt to me, I just became guilty right away. Whether it was real guilt, false guilt, didn't matter. I was just guilty all the time. So even as I, you know, went to Bible college and seminary, I, when, I, when I began to teach others, I became a pastor, I began to teach others about Jesus. I could teach everything about Jesus. I could teach all about the Bible. And most of it was coming from my head. I had a heart experience, but, you know, I didn't really know God in the way that I know him today. It was in 2003 where I was able to first experience the life that Jesus said he wanted to give me, the abundant life, where I began to feel his love and the burden of condemnation lift in my life, where those voices of anger and guilt and shame were able to be be overtaken by the truth of God's love in my heart. I began to feel like I was not condemned in any kind of way. That ongoing experience of God's love has transformed the way I feel, the way I think, and even the way I teach as a pastor. It's why I can confidently stand before you today and tell you that if you open your life to him, if you embark on this same kind of journey, no matter where you are on that journey in that situation in your life, you will find Jesus to be the most loving, gracious, and kind friend that you could ever have. I believe that Jesus is real, not just because of the evidence, but I also believe it because of what I feel in my heart and the love that I feel, the unconditional love that I feel today for myself. He loves you just as you are. He loves you just um, in in. Every part of your life, he cares about you, and he is the most gracious, kind, and compassionate friend you will ever find. He will walk with you through all of life's journey. So I highly recommend Jesus to you today. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. And it was as if uh, all I needed was me and my buddies, and, you know, we'd be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. And I don't want to do this thing called life. I don't want to do it on my own. And it kind of feels like my longing for this, this light inside, is now stronger than my fear of what others might think. And people often ask, well, doesn't that make uh, faith like a crutch? And, you know, well, maybe. But, you know, what does a crutch do? Uh, A crutch helps you stand, and it makes you stronger. And in that case, you know, sure, I need a bit of that. But especially when it's so much more than that, when this faith inside is also also like a backbone, uh, helping me stand tall and helping me be strong when I'm really up against it, facing those odds, whether it's on a mountain or stuck in some jungle or just dealing with the storms, you know, with the storms of life. Uh, sure, I need it, I, you know, I, I need that. Uh, but at heart, my Christian faith says that I am, that I'm known, that I'm known to Christ. Uh, bought at a price, uh, blessed with light. Uh, faith says that we're loved, regardless of our mess, uh, regardless of how many times we fall down. And that Jesus somehow picks me up. And sure, you know, I'll reach out to that. Why, 
why wouldn't I? I used to think Christianity was boring, untrue and irrelevant. But when I read about Jesus, I realized he was anything but. Jesus said he's the way to God. He's the one who brings meaning and purpose to your life. He said he's the truth. He said he's the life, that true fulfillment is found in a relationship with God through him. Alpha is a place where you can be yourself. You can say what you think and challenge everything. Now, no question is too complex or too simple. And what your point of view is, is as important as anyone else's. And over the weeks ahead, we are going on a journey together, an adventure to explore the questions of life, faith, and meaning. Think of it this way. If you live to be 70, you're going to spend 20 years and three months asleep, 10 years and five months watching TV, five years and nine months in some form of transportation, seven years and six months eating and drinking. You have approximately 570,000 hours left to live. So why not spend less than 24 of them asking life's biggest questions? Welcome to Alpha. So right now we're going to invite you to discuss a question uh, with your people that are around you. And uh, I think we have that question on the, the, uh, the screen here. If it turned out that there was a God after all, and you could ask one question, what would it be? So we're going to give you a chance to do that. But you may have come up with a question that you want us to discuss as well, either today or in upcoming uh, days. And you can text that question to 613-406-5812. And we'll get that question to me immediately, okay? So um, if you uh, have a question that you want us to address, then this is your chance to do that through text message. And uh, right now, I want you to turn around in your group, and I want you to discuss this question. If it turned out there was a God after all, and you could ask one question, what would it be? If you came face-to-face with God in in, in, uh, in a real-life situation, what would you like to ask God today? Go ahead.
All right, we're going to, um, I haven't had any questions texted me yet, <laughs> but I can have your attention. But if you still have a question, I'll come and meet you with this microphone and you can ask, oh, we have it here. We have a question. How is it that God could have always been in existence? What a great question. Why don't you just turn around and uh, share with each other how you would answer that question, okay? How, how is it that God could have always been in existence? You got some theories on that? Share with one another about it. Because I don't have all the answers here, let me tell you that, okay? <laughs> All right, if I could have your attention again. I'm sure you got that one all figured out, didn't you? Everybody got a perfect answer for that one, right? Um, I have to admit that that question is a particularly hard one for me to answer because it's hard for me to see that question in an objective way. Because of my upbringing, I was raised always to believe in God. So God, to me, is as... as um, as knowable or as real in my mind as, as anything else is. Um, and so those kind of questions actually interest me, and I love to hear people's perspective on them because I can understand how, um, if you haven't had the same kind of upbringings I have, that you would wonder how someone could claim to have existed all the time when everything that we see in life has a beginning and has an end. Which brings us to another question that someone asked, and this will be our last question today, but what is the point of living on earth if you're going to have heaven for eternity? That's a good question, too. And, you know, just my two cents on that one, I think that's something that we have kind of gotten wrong in Christianity, where we have kind of misled people that, um, that life is all about um, what happens after life, that that. You know, that everything about Christianity is about, you know, getting it right here so that you can have life in eternity, that you can have heaven. But I don't think that's what Jesus taught. And this is something that's very interesting that you might want to look into on this journey that you're going on with us, is that, is that Jesus really said the kingdom of heaven is now. Jesus didn't really project heaven as being someplace elsewhere, far away. He saw it as something that was here and now. Jesus said, Jesus said to repent because the kingdom of God is here. That's what Jesus told people. That was his, that was his introduction uh, to people. And because Jesus was really inviting every person to come on a journey with him to discover what the kingdom of God was. Oh, I believe in heaven, and I believe Jesus believed in heaven. Um, but that's not all that there is. It's not about just getting a ticket so that, you know, and saying the right words so that someday you can, you can get to heaven. There's much more. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. And that begins now. So that's the beginning of our Alpha journey together. And if you want to continue on, you, could, uh, you need to sign up for a uh, Real Life Connection group right after this service. You can uh, use your connection card, drop it off to Liz and, uh, and Carol, and they'll get you started. And so this, uh, this, was, this was session one. You'll have ses session two this week, and we'll be back with session three 
next Sunday. So, and it's a really good one, and uh, we're really excited about it. Virginia's going to come right now, and she's going to close up the service. She's got a few more things to say to you, but uh, we'll see you out uh, at the coffee bar in a few moments. Thank you.